be seated. We are currently in a study called essentially this, which is an exploration of the beliefs that we must hold if we are going to be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, and if we're going to live the Christian life. There are just some things we must assent to. And the, the title, essentially this, re- reflects the obvious assumption that there are some essentials. There are some things that we can't give away. There are some things that we can't leave out if we are going to do our part to advance God's kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. But the title also implies that there are some beliefs around our faith that fall short of the standard of essentials. In other words, there are some things that I may believe that you don't believe, and we're okay with it. These are beliefs that do not affect our connection with God. So there are essentials, and there are non-essentials. Now the question is, how do we deal with with those two different categories of beliefs. Well, in 1627, a German by the name of Peter Meiderlin published a tract. It was right in the middle of the Thirty Years' War that was just devastating Europe. And he published this tract calling for peaceful toleration between warring Christian factions. And in this tract, he established the oft-quoted maxim... In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all our beliefs, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all our beliefs, charity. Now, if, if you've been in our Discovering Skycrest class, which is a class that, where we teach about our mission and our message, then you know that we begin the part of the class about our beliefs with that maxim, in essentials, unity. There are some beliefs that we must simply be united around if we're going to effectively do what God has called us to do as a body of believers. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul exhorted the church to unity around these essentials. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Now let me say before we read, I'm going to go over a lot of Scripture today. So if you have something you want to jot down the Scriptures, you can look at and meditate on them later. Uh, But we're going to begin with Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Remember, he is calling for unity through the essentials. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This isn't something that we haphazardly back into. He says, make every effort. Let it be top priority to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
Why? Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one body held together by one spirit. It has one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Now listen, when there is one there can't be others. When there's one, there can't be others. These ones are exclusive. They are absolute. If we're going to be followers of Jesus and we're going to live in God's kingdom, we have to submit to the idea of these ones. These are absolute truths around which we must unite. And listen, these truths are the distinctives of the Christian faith. That means they are essential to our being Christian and living the Christian life. In essentials, there must be unity. No debate. One hope. One faith. One baptism, one Father. There are ones, and we unite around those ones. What about the non-essentials? In non-essentials, there is liberty. Within the body of Christ, there is room for personal preference and denominational distinctives. Okay, Within the body of Christ, that's made one by the Spirit of God through one faith. There is room for personal preference and denominational distinctives. So we don't all have to have the same convictions about everything. Okay, Some churches have deacons, some have elders. Some are Calvinists, some are Arminian. Some sing hymns and some use contemporary worship. Within our homes, some... Moms work outside the home, and some are convicted to stay home. Some homeschool, some choose Christian school, and some choose public school. Some dance, and some don't. When I was growing up, my grandfather had an interesting conviction. He believed that cards were a gateway to gambling. And so in his home... There were no cards. Now, I don't know if he was right about that conviction or not. I'm not a gambler, so maybe it worked. However, it was his conviction, and it was his home, and he was free to choose it. There are non-essentials as it relates to salvation. And what the Scripture teaches us is that we have the freedom to follow the lead of our redeemed consciences in choosing the way we should go. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 14. He said, if you cannot do it in faith, then for you it's sin. In these gray areas, in these areas that aren't defined as ones in Scripture, then you follow your conscience. And your conscience is going to be informed by the way you were raised, the things you know, all kinds of different factors, your, your experiences All kinds of different factors inform the decisions you make that Scripture doesn't speak directly to. What God says is that you should live in wisdom. And wisdom 
follows the dictates of the redeemed conscience so that we walk in freedom. Okay? Now, in non-essentials, there is liberty. And that liberty fosters the diversity necessary for us to reach vast cross-sections of people with the gospel. In essentials, unity. We all must believe ones. In non-essentials, there is liberty. You figure it out between you and God, and then exercise your freedom to follow your conscience and allow others to do the same. And then the last part of the maxim is critical. In all our beliefs, we have charity. Now, charity there is obviously, 1627, is obviously the old word for love. The the most important aspect of following Jesus is love. It's loving people. See, we, we can get it all right. We can know all the essentials. And submit to them. We we can serve with excellence in every area of the church. And we can even extend grace and protect the freedoms of others as a celebration of diversity. But if we don't love, then we are falling woefully short of the mark. We are not living the Christian life that communicates... The love of God. I want you to look how the Apostle Paul talks about this kind of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You'll know that as the love chapter. It's just two books back from the book of Ephesians. But I want you to listen to verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, If if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, no matter how good my sermons are, He's saying, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, understand everything about the Scripture and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can literally move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen to what he's saying. We can seemingly get it all right. But if we get it right without love, we've gotten it all wrong. If we get it all right without love, we're all wrong. The most important commands, according to Jesus, are to love God and to love other people as we love ourselves. And if we fail to live in love, then we are failing to live the Christian life. So what's the point? The point is we definitely need to know the essentials. We need to know what we must unite around. We absolutely have to get them right. It is essential. But we must not elevate right thinking above right doing. Understanding the truth should lead us to living the truth. Understanding the truth should lead us to living the truth. Knowing what to believe, listen closely, knowing what to believe is not the goal. 
what we believe is the foundation for what we do. What did James say? Faith without works is dead. Faith, right knowledge, knowing the essentials, all that's important. But if it comes without the work of love, it's worthless. Now, let let me ask the obvious question as we transition to the essential here. Where does this insight about our faith come from? How how do we know this? Where, Where did Meiderlin get the idea that the church should be unified around the essentials, that that we should live freely in our liberties, and that we are called to love above all else. Where did he get that idea? Well, like anything else we know about God and following him, it was revealed. It was revealed to us by God himself. See, here's what you need to recognize. The created can't know anything about the creator unless the creator tells the created. Right? We can't know anything about God. The scripture says his ways are not our ways, so we can't tell where he's going. And his thoughts are not our thoughts, so we can't tell what he's thinking. We are oblivious to God, short of revelation. That's why we need to be unified around our beliefs about revelation. Okay, these beliefs are essential. Now, I'm going to talk about revelation here for a couple of moments. And there are two kinds of revelation that we meet in Scripture. There's general revelation and there is special revelation. Revelation. There's general revelation and special revelation. Now, general revelation provides us with the knowledge that God exists. Say, how do you know God exists? Well, there's general revelation. He chose to reveal himself generally to all, to all who are willing to see the revelation God disclosed. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. This is a psalm of David, who, as we know, was a man after God's own heart, and he had a passion for worshiping God. And David talks about the general revelation, without using that word, frequently in the psalms. In these songs, he wrote for the people of God to sing in worship. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. He wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. Look up. Look around. God's glory is revealed. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You know what that says? God's glory is revealed through the work of his hands. 
the display is so clear that no creature, no person who honestly looks at the wonders of creation should ever miss it. If you look without an agenda, you will see that there must be a creator. A few years ago, my family and I, and my mother was visiting at the time, so we had a big group. We were down at the beach at Frenchie's, and uh, we were there for sunset. It was on a Sunday night. And uh, you know the atmosphere. I don't think there was a lot of praising God going on that night in that space. As a matter of fact, the Bucks were playing, and it was a few years ago, so I'm quite sure they were losing. But it was a beautiful night. And we were seated outside facing the sunset. And it was just one of those nights where the heavens declared the glory of God. And when the sun dropped behind the gulf, the place erupted in applause. What were they clapping for? For God. The heavens were declaring His glory. That's what they do. He was revealing himself. And our natural response to something that we can't explain, to something that we're sure isn't just an accident, is to applaud. It is to celebrate. It is to say thank you to the God who is revealed through creation. If we look honestly... We'll see. Yet some do not. And because of the clarity of general revelation, the scripture says that men are without excuse when it comes to believing in God. He has revealed enough for us to know that He is. He has revealed enough for us to know that He is. Listen to what Paul wrote about this in the, to the church in Rome. And you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we uh, usually hear this scripture read for different reasons. But I want you to think about general revelation as we see what Paul was writing to that church. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 and we'll go through verse 23. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Did you know that the choices we make can suppress the truth of God? Why is that? Since what may be known about God is plain to them, that's general revelation. That's what he's talking about. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, he, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You have no excuse. Look up. Look around. 
see the glory of God in the world he has created. For although they knew God, as a matter of fact, God says general revelation provides enough that you should be able to know him. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles rather than looking around at creation and saying thank God people looked around at creation and figured out what idols they could make to worship they worshipped the work of their hands not the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he says the, the wrath of God is being poured out on them because they have no excuse. While Paul says that while all people don't worship God, they should all know God. How? Because it, his knowledge comes through the clear message of general revelation. Through creation, God reveals his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. All of that is clearly seen and understandable through what has been made. All of it. And therefore, all people, all of us, are without excuse. He's given us enough. To see him. Creation whets our appetite and inspires us to seek him. And the scripture says if we seek him, we will find him. That's general revelation. It inspires the quest for God. But I've got great news. God doesn't stop with general revelation. He has something else to say. He supplements general revelation with special revelation. Now what is special revelation? It is God speaking directly to us so we can know him and respond to him. Special revelation is God speaking directly to us so we can know him and respond to him. Okay, he, you hear people say God is a personal God. You know why they say God is a personal God? <clears throat> Excuse me. Because he communicates with us. If you have a personal relationship with someone, that means you're communicating with them and they're communicating with you. God, as a personal God, communicates to us through special revelation. Now, you guys remember when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and then the tempter stepped into that moment with three temptations? Not surprisingly, the Bible tells us that on the other side of his fasting, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him saying, if you are the Son of God, if you are who you think you are, if you were really God in the flesh. Then, tell these stones to become bread. Now, the temptation there was, Jesus, are you sure? 
Are you sure you are the Son of God? And the temptation was real because he was starving. 40 days and 40 nights fasting. Do you remember how Jesus responded to Satan? Look at Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written. Special revelation. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Every word. Now, Jesus was responding to temptation with Scripture. The Scripture is actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Scripture is the specific, special revelation of God precisely because it comes from the mouth of God. It is God communicating with us. As the church has historically phrased it, the Bible is the Word of God. Now, this is essential. Christians must believe To be Christian, to live Christian, we must believe that the Bible is God's Word, His special revelation to those who are made in His image. Unequivocally, we must believe and trust the special revelation of God. Now, maybe you know all there is to know about the Bible, and so if you do, just indulge me for a moment. But, but I just want to give you a brief overview of this book, because I, I think understanding it can inspire some faith in God's special revelation. The word Bible comes from the word Biblia, which means many books. In other words, the Bible is a book of many books. There are two main divisions in the Bible. You know this. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, New Test- the, the word testament means covenant or agreement. So the Old Testament was a covenant that God made with a nation, the nation of Israel, and the New Testament was a covenant that God made with all men, Jew and Gentile alike, through a man, a God-man, Jesus Christ. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 in the New Testament. The Old Testament is made up of historical books, poetical books, and prophetical books. The New Testament is made up of the four Gospels, which tell the good news story of Jesus Christ. After John, which is the fourth Gospel, there's the book of Acts, which tells us of the activity of the new church. Then there are 21 epistles. Now, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. An epistle is a letter to the churches in the New Testament that were formed. There were 21 letters, and then the book ends with the final revelation of God, what is going to happen when Jesus comes back again. There are 66 separate books in the Bible written by 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years. The Bible is God's Word. It tells the same story from beginning to end. It tells us how much God loves us and wants a relationship with us. It is God's Word. It is God's Word. Special revelation to you from a God who wants to know you personally. So much so that he sent his son Jesus 
to die on the cross so you could make a life-changing connection with your Creator. The Bible is God's Word. But listen, to call it God's Word doesn't mean that it was written by God's own divine hand and was printed and bound in heaven and dropped from there by parachute. That's not what that means. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. That means that while the authors retained all their individuality, their unique style, their vocabulary, their special emphasis, their the unique culture they were living in, they weren't writing their own opinions. And since it was written over 1,500 years, we know they weren't collaborating together yet because God inspired His Word through His Spirit. It's one story. Miraculously, one story. Because there's one God. It tells the story of one faith. It reveals one hope and one spirit. I want you to look at the way Paul describes how the Scriptures came to be. Now, this is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture to some of you. As a matter of fact, I think we talked about it last week, but we, we say these verses a lot. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Here's what the Scripture says. All Scripture is God, what? Breathed. Let's do that again. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we talk about the power of the Scripture and how it renews the mind and transforms the life. We understand that. But have you ever really thought about how Paul says the Scriptures were formed. He says they were God-breathed. God-breathed. And do you remember the other time in Scripture where it talks about God-breathing? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, He spoke the world into existence, ex nihilo. That means he created out of nothing with the spoken word. And then he created man. And Genesis 2, 7 tells us, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. God gave man life by breathing his breath into our nostrils. And I don't think there's any coincidence that when Paul thought, how am I going to describe how God formed his word? He breathed life into his word. Just as he breathed life into us by his spirit, He breathed the word into being. You remember what Jesus said when he was tempted by Satan? Man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why did he say that? That's because God's word gives life just as God's breath gives life. 
The same Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures is the Holy Spirit that lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The Scripture says when you come to faith in Christ, you are sealed for the day of your salvation by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that worked with those 40 authors over 1,500 years to write those 66 books in the one book that is God's special revelation. God's Word, the special revelation of God should be the air we breathe. Just as food sustains us. It's God's Word that sustains us. Through general revelation, God gave us enough to know that He is. Through special revelation, God gave us enough to understand how desperately He wants to connect with us. The Bible tells the story Jesus Christ from beginning to end of God's pursuit of each one of us. And listen, you don't have to doubt it. It's true. I would would challenge you if you haven't lived life according to the revealed truth of God's word, pursue God's wisdom. Live in the light of his word. And I promise you, you'll see God. It proves itself. But we have to trust it. Now, if if, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that the whole purpose of God's special revelation is to help you discover who he is and what he's done for you. Here's the story. God sent his son, stepped out of eternity and into time. He came at just the right time. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the law. And then in the end, he was unjustly crucified on the cross. He took our place. He was our substitute. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you have an intimate connection with the Heavenly Father because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's the story. That's the special revelation. So if you aren't connected with God, I want you to know there's no better day than this one to choose to trust the story. It'll change your life. It is the source of our one hope, one faith. It's essential to eternal life with God. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Let me tell you, the special revelation of God should be the air you breathe. You say, well, I don't know if I understand Scripture. The same Holy Spirit that brought the book to life lives in you. You have an interpreter. 
sit down with the Bible. Ask God to open your eyes that you can see wonderful things in it and then read it. Ask God to continue to reveal Himself to you through His special revelation. And God will delight in revealing His wisdom and His truth to you. I challenge you. If you believe the right thing about this essential truth of revelation, then I want to challenge you to practice it. Be a man or woman of God's Word. Make space for Him to speak and resolve in your heart to follow. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the truth of your revelation. We thank you, Lord, that we can see you in the beauty of creation. But we're thankful, Father, most of all, that we can know you through the truth of special revelation. Lord, if there are any here today that don't know you, that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that by your Spirit you would draw them to yourself today. Open their eyes to see, their hearts to believe the glorious truth of your love and the sacrifice of your Son. And Father, for those of us who do know you and we aspire not only to know the right things but to do the right things I I pray Lord that we would resolve in our hearts to be people of the book your book your special revelation so we can do our part to see your kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven in Christ's name I pray